This podcast is produced by the marketing department at Corona Inc. in Peabody, Massachusetts. For the benefit of its North American sales resources, including the team of employees and sales channel partners, for the purpose of entertaining and transferring knowledge on one specific topic. Today's episode, Ultrasonic Transducer Technology. It was just another day at the transit station. Folks of all kinds were milling about the local bar while waiting for their next ride. So a clampon Doppler ultrasonic flow meter walks up to the bar and says, Hey barkeep, can you do me a solid and buy me a drink? I'm strapped. The bartender answers, Well, no can do, partner. If you want an accurate measure of clean liquids to flow... You'll have to mosey onto that pipe over there and get in line. (laughs) That joke should never, ever be popular. But by contrast, ultrasonic flow meters have steadily grown in popularity since their first development some 30 years ago. They feature no moving parts and can be produced in a variety of styles in myriad sizes and can apply to just about any number of flow situations. However, if you've thought about ultrasonic flow meters... Did you consider how heavily dependent they are on their transducer technology to meet their performance specifications? If you haven't, don't worry. Since the early 80s, Krona has obsessed over ultrasonic sensor transducer and meter construction designs, so you don't have to. Over the past 35 years, we've developed many solutions for a very broad range of application requirements. In today's episode, we'll review some basics about ultrasonic meter technology and dive into the details of transducers developed for specific industrial application environments. First, some fundamentals. The basic principle of operation of ultrasonic flow meters is based on a measure of time. There are two general categories of ultrasonic measurement techniques. The first technique depends on the Doppler effect. Back in 1842, an Austrian physicist named Christian Doppler noted that there's a change in the frequency of a sound wave for an observer of a moving object relative to its source. For example, a car horn on a passing car. In this example, the horn sound seems to be getting higher in pitch while it's approaching and then lowers while it's moving away. It's important to note that the change is only apparent to the observer. The horn sound is constant to the person in the moving car. In a Doppler ultrasonic meter, sometimes also known as a Doppler shift meter, the transducer steadily emits pulses of electromagnetic energy into the fluid. As the pulse travels through the fluid, a portion of that energy will be reflected back from whatever air bubble or solid is flowing along in the fluid stream. That rock or bubble is like the car in our earlier example. For our sake, let's call it a rock. Since that rock doesn't come equipped with its own horn, it's the reflected pulse energy or echo that is like the car horn. It's very important to state that for Doppler meters to work at all, there must be something carried along in the fluid stream because that is what is being tracked by the sensor. In this type of meter, a transducer listens to the echo from the rock flowing towards the sensor. 
As it's approaching, the echo's frequency is getting higher, and then it lowers as it moves past. With some relatively simple math, the meter's processor can derive the velocity at which the object is traveling in the stream from the echo's frequency shift over a period of time. Knowing the flowing velocity and the cross-sectional area of the meter, you can easily compute the volumetric flow. Doppler meters came onto the scene in the 70s, and now they're used on slurries or liquids within train gas applications for monitoring purposes since they're generally produced as clamp-on meters. Users like the fact that they can get a simple measurement on an otherwise challenging application at a relatively low cost. The challenge with these meters, however, is that there is a high degree of uncertainty in the measurement, so accuracy and repeatability specs cannot be very tight. The uncertainty comes in part from the reliability of the transducers and also the high variability in the quantity and the quality of the entrained material. The second measurement technique is the one that Chrono depends on exclusively for its ultrasonic flow meters. It is the transit time differential method. This technology came to the fore in the mid-80s and Chrono was one of the early pioneers. Until recently, Chrono was solely focused on liquids measurement with inline meters, but Within the last 10 years, several new iterations were developed, either as clamp-on devices, but also as units for gases, and now also steam. Unlike Doppler meters, transit time units depend on fluid homogeneity. In other words, entrained gases or solids should be minimal in liquids applications, and liquids should be minimized in gas or steam applications. If not, the overall reliability and performance of the instrument can be affected, to the point where the meter may stop measuring altogether. The upside, however, is that when those constraints are considered, the meter's repeatability is second to none compared to any other technology, and the accuracy is also amongst the best available. Transit time ultrasonics are very popular choices for custody transfer applications based on their traceable accuracy and are trusted choices for measurements in process control in all industries because of their extreme repeatability, and most specifically in the oil and gas industries. You see, ultrasonic meters don't care about fluid density variations or even conductivity, which makes them ideal for hydrocarbon-type fluids. They're also featuring no moving parts and have a huge turndown with no drift whatsoever over time. It's important to note that there are all sorts of technical details in the design of Krona ultrasonic meters that I have to gloss over right now since we don't have the time to dive into them. But if you have an interest, then look up a really good reference on our website's download center. It's in the brochures and flyers section. When there, click on the fundamentals links and you will find a document titled Fundamentals of Ultrasonic Flow Measurement by Frederick Hoffman. Needless to say, Krona has taken many steps to engineer a superior product with excellent performance, but now I'll focus my remarks on the transducers and their assembly. The measurement principle of transit time meters is quite simple. In the meter, piezoelectric transducers send a pulse of energy across the pipe. Another transducer receives the pulse and sends one back. This goes on continually back and forth. A very precise timer circuit measures the time it takes for each pulse cycle. If there's no fluid flow, the transducer signal take exactly the same amount of time to travel back and forth across the pipe. Once flow begins, there's an immediate time difference noted between the pulse cycles. The pulse traveling with the flow direction will make it across faster than the pulse traveling against the flow stream.
The timing circuit is able to accurately determine the time difference between the two cycles, and this difference is directly proportional to the flowing velocity. Okay, so by now you're thinking, ha! The transit cycle must also be affected by fluid properties like density and viscosity. Well, congratulations, you are, of course, correct. I'm glad you're listening closely. The time it takes for a pulse to travel across a pipe filled with fluid is indeed affected by the fluid's properties. But the transit time, because it's measured so quickly, is not going to be affected by those properties since we assume that both pulse directions will be going through the exact same fluid at exactly the same time. So the time difference is still going to be a reflection of the fluid's velocity. Now, there is a potential problem if the fluid is very, very viscous, but it's difficult to generalize. Viscous fluids will attenuate a pulse of energy going through the fluid. Depending on the exact fluid, the type of transducer used, and the pipe diameter, we will be able to determine if an application will or will not be successful. That's what our sizing programs are for. But let's get back to something that's crucial for a transit time ultrasonic flow meter the measure of time. The extreme resolution of the timing circuit is the basis for the repeatability and the accuracy of the meter. For example, in a 4-inch line with water flowing at about 3 feet per second, it would take a pulse of energy about 96 microseconds to go across that 4-inch pipe. The transit time differential would be about 91.3 nanoseconds. Yes, I said nanoseconds. This is one billionth of a second. But here's the kicker. If you want to have a 0.3% resolution on that transit time measurement, you'd need a timer with a measurement resolution of better than 275 trillionths of a second, or picoseconds. And that's on water. Depending on the fluid and its inherent acoustic properties, that resolution might have to be even better. Now, a nanosecond is such an abstract thought. To try to help you relate in practical terms... Let's look at something I found on the internet. Electricity flowing at the speed of light through a copper wire will travel about 983 feet in a microsecond. It would travel only about a foot in one nanosecond and about one hundredth of an inch in a picosecond. That's pretty quick. Okay, so let's talk about the pulse frequencies. When we're talking about something called an ultrasonic meter, we're acknowledging that frequencies are involved since the word ultrasonic itself refers to a range of frequencies which is outside of our hearing range. If you recall, earlier I mentioned that every measured fluid has acoustic properties and specifically they each have an associated speed of sound. The speed of sound is defined as the distance traveled per unit of time by a sound wave as it propagates through an elastic medium. For example, in dry air at room temperature, the speed of sound is about 343 meters per second. That's about 768 miles per hour. This would change slightly depending on the air density. Water has a substantially faster speed of sound of about 1,480 meters per second, which is just over 3,300 miles per hour, if you're keeping score. As a side note, that's probably why Moby Dick could hear Captain Ahab so quickly and clearly from so far away. There she blows, there she blows, a hump like a snow hill. It is Moby Dick. <clears throat> okay, but back to the topic at hand. 
Solids like steel or copper, for example, have a speed of sound that is more than four times faster than liquids. Steel clocks in at almost 6,000 meters per second. That's over 13,000 miles per hour. Okay, so by now you're probably wondering, why does it matter? Well, let's start with the operating frequency of the transducers, which, by the way, are completely solid-state piezo transducers. They're called transducers because they are both a signal transmitter and a receiver, and they convert electrical energy into a frequency signal. Electricity is applied to the piezo within the transducer, and it'll vibrate at its designated frequency. On the other side, a matched piezo senses the wave signal coming at it, and it converts that wave into an electrical signal in response, and that is picked up by the electronic signal processing circuit. For best efficiency, you have to pick a transducer frequency that would allow the pulse signal to propagate cleanly through the specific fluid being measured, and to get to the other side as reliably as possible. For liquids, the optimal frequency of the pulse signal will be in the megahertz range, while in gases, the signal works best in the kilohertz frequency range. Gas transducers can come in slightly differing frequencies and construction materials, which are selected based on the flowing gas properties, including density and material compatibility. For example, titanium is our standard material, but it isn't compatible with oxygen. So stainless steel transducers can be applied in that situation. Picking the right transducer sounds complicated and risky, but really, it isn't. Just tell us what the fluid and the flowing conditions are, and Krona will take care of applying the right transducer for the job. Simple enough. But there's a little bit more insight into what Krona does to ensure that those transducers will last and perform to their maximum mean time between failure rating of more than 150 years while also meeting the measurement performance specifications. So let's talk meter construction for a few seconds. In liquid inline meters, the transducer is isolated from the fluid and is situated behind a metal window. The fluid is in contact with that window and the transducer is coupled to that window with some kind of acoustic coupling. For clamp-on meters, the transducer is physically and acoustically coupled to the pipe with a gel, and the pipe is in turn in contact with the measured fluid. For gas and steam meters, the transducers are wetted. They're in contact with the fluid. However, for the high-temperature steam measurement, the transducers are actually coupled to a solid coupling rod, which is what is actually in contact with the steam. This assures that the piezo crystals for steam applications are protected from the heat. There is a parallel in the liquids meters for high temperature applications where the transducers are also remote from the actual fluid themselves and interconnected to the coupling window or the measurement window with a solid rod. In every case, the transducer is also very specifically designed to limit the amount of crosstalk that's created. So what exactly is crosstalk? Just like it sounds, crosstalk is noise that gets in the way of proper communication. For example, you might be listening to me on your computer speakers while your very loud co-worker is blabbing to someone else nearby. Your ability to concentrate on my super important message is therefore diminished. Anyway, in ultrasonic meter, that annoying co-worker is the steel body of the meter itself. Every time a signal pulse is generated at the transducer, a portion of the energy makes its way to the other transducer by way of the meter's steel 
body because of its much faster speed of sound. This is also known as ring-around. So exactly how much of the energy travels in this alternate path, you ask? Well, according to Dick Lawn, our ultrasonic product manager based in Holland, in low-density gas applications, up to 95% of the pulse signal doesn't even make it to the fluid, never mind getting across. To counteract any signal interference, therefore, the design of the Krona transducer and the holder assemblies incorporate a lot of mechanical features that dampen, delay, or deny the energy traveling through the solid meter body so that it would arrive at the other side of the pipe too weakly, too early, or too late to affect the actual pulse signal that traveled through the fluid itself. In the liquid meters, the dampening is accomplished mechanically in the mounting assembly and also by adding some extra ridge-like threads in the transducer metal assembly itself. Those ridges act as mechanical damplers and crosstalk diffusers. In the gas meters, a series of O-rings close to the front end of the sensor acoustically decouples the transducer signal generation portion from the meter body where the mechanical pressure boundary is maintained. Those O-rings effectively minimize the amount of pulse energy that would be available to produce crosstalk. As mentioned earlier, in the steam design and also in the high temperature liquid meter, the transducers are mounted far away from the meter body itself. This is so that the small piezos in the transducers are thermally isolated from the high temperatures in the process. It is a solid coupling rod that interfaces the piezo sensor to the fluid. The rod can be subject to the crosstalk, and so to handle that, Krona created some mechanical filters through the use of a sensor flange assembly with built-in noise-dampening gaskets that minimize the crosstalk effects. If you've seen a high-temperature version or pictures of a Krona ultrasonic flow meter for that purpose, you may have wondered why there's a flange at each transducer. It does help for the mechanical assembly, but it is even more important as part of the acoustic path to limit crosstalk. Who knew? So, let me leave you with these final thoughts. Krona OptiSonic flow meters are amongst the simplest devices to select, install, and operate. They are super reliable, incredibly repeatable, and very, very, very accurate. They are available in all sorts of materials in sizes from half-inch clamp-on to 120-inch inline and now, with its complete range of ultrasonic meter solutions, Krona can also solve the broadest range of applications from cryogenic LNG to high-temperature liquids like molten salt or for gases of all kinds, including natural gas and even high-pressure superheated steam header applications. As one of the earliest innovators of ultrasonic flow meter technology, Krona also has more experience in any process industry than any other vendor anywhere. And that's no joke. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Krona Product Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at krona.com and make sure to refer to the specific topic of this podcast. Any suggestions for future topics would also be very welcomed. Thanks again.